But like when I think about the things that we're fighting for that other countries that are more homogenous have, um, we don't have them here because of racism. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today, we're going to be talking about like Texas and rugged individualism and <laughs> um, a lot of other political stuff with Nana, who's the host of the Broke, Gifted, and Black podcast. Um, and so thank you so much for coming on. If you want to just give the audience a quick bio of yourself, anything you think they should know about you, that'd be great. Yes, thank you, uh, Isabel and DeAndre, so much for having me on. Uh, my name is Nana. I am born and raised in Texas, first-gen American. Um, I'm a writer and actor and, um, like she said, the creator and producer of the Broke, Gifted, and Black podcast. Um, my motto, I went to grad school in New York City um, at the New School, and I got my uh, master's in media studies and film. And I am uh, currently, well, not currently because it's COVID, but I was actually getting a film produced about colorism uh, because my whole motto is, and it's relevant again, is that I want to Tyler Perry my way into an industry that has never, ever had space for women like me. That's awesome. So (laughs) thank you so much for having me on. And I'm also um, very passionate about uh, social justice and um, raising up the voice and the opportunity of those who are systematically oppressed. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell us more about what you wanted to talk about today. So I live in Texas and Texas has been, um, (laughs) is like the American case study of what rugged individualism gets you. Nothing. nothing. (laughs) It gets you nothing. (laughs) It gets you absolutely nothing. (laughs) Because <laughs> um, I was born in Texas and I left actually for a while to like go to college and then I moved to New York and then I came back. But it's just like I tell people, I'm like, it's truly a great state if nothing in your life ever goes wrong. Like mm. nothing. Like no snow, no rain, no flat tire, nothing goes wrong. And that's not real life. Um, And so right now with everything that's going on, I work for a community organizing um organization um called texas organizing project and our main thing is um really right now to turn texas more progressive i think people have the wrong idea is that texas is a red state and it's really not it's a voter suppressed state um and you see that with all of the changes as soon as we like get an inch they like take away five Mm -hmm. um And so I kind of wanted to talk about Texas because right now I feel like everything like I I was there, obviously, through the blackout. We lost um, we lost electricity for three days. I was like, I'm in a blessed situation that I could afford to go stay at a hotel. And I have the foresight to go stay at a hotel and all of that other stuff. But it's like that shouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? And it's like, and even now our governor went on Fox news and blamed the new deal and AOC. And I'm like, she's not a thing. It's not even. Yeah. It's not a thing. (laughs) 
Like, how do you blame something that is not even a law or has <laughs> And not it's been not enacted. even an actual policy, even if it were to be passed. It's literally a two page document that's just like, oh, here are the principles that we believe in in terms of like <laughs> <laughs> trying to make policy for climate change. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's it's frustrating because a lot of Texas leadership is like that. So right now we're actually holding meetings to hold our our leaders on this city county and state level accountable because it's like we literally fended for ourselves out in texas like there were no salt trucks highways were just like cars made way for other cars there were warming centers came after people were like hey there should be warming centers for like three days there were none and i'm just like i i know like we're warm weather or whatever, but it's like, don't we, can't we be proactive at all? And now it's just like, ah, you guys are okay. Um, <laughs> and it's like, some people still don't have water. Some people's houses are yeah. flooded. And it's so, it, to me, I'm, I'm so frustrated with, first of all, the lies. And then the people that actually believe it, and I just wonder what their mindset is. Um, and three, it's like, also, this is going to happen again. So what are the plans for the future? And I feel like his plan, Abbott, was like, no mask. <laughs> he, was he, like, was like, he was like, business is open 100%. I did that today. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's doing that to kind of like detract from what he what has happened and the responsibility that is all his and his parties, yeah. really. Um, and kind of talking about just Texas, because I feel like... It is a case study of rugged individualism and capitalism gone wrong. And, you know, there are a lot of people that move here and I tell them, I'm like, this is not a great state. And then they stay here for a while and then they're like, oh, it is kind of. It it's it's lopsided yeah. here mm-hmm. um, and it it's a state that happily embraces its racism and its past. And it will happily continue to oppress black and brown people um, from the government to the to education. Like UT is having the problem with the Eyes on Texas song. And I don't know if you guys have heard no, that. I um, there's uh, UT Austin is our as the big state school here. And they have a song called Eyes on Texas, which is obviously has racist roots. And so a lot of. Students were like, we don't want to play this song anymore because it's their fight song at at the uh, games. And all of the rich donors and the alums are basically like, stay in line. Um, how dare you? How dare you? We're going to pull all of our money. This is not what we pay for. Mm-hmm. And this one guy literally said, I know the song can be um, upsetting for the blacks. <laughs> but if they want to... <laughs> The blacks, that's just ruining everything for us. <laughs> He's, but he literally said if they want to go to a state that is more accepting of them, that's okay. And I was just like, well, at least you yeah. said it out. I mean, now. shout out to that guy for, yeah. he's like, oh yeah, I'm racist. I don't know if you knew. I, <laughs> I don't like black people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this whole state isn't made for you at mm-hmm. all. I was, so, I was listening, oh, sorry, sorry I was listening to a New York Times podcast on Monday that was actually talking about sort of the fallout in black and brown communities after the blackout in Texas. And she, uh, they interviewed like 
women of color that lived in the Dallas area slash like the suburbs of Dallas. And they were all like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I mean, our pipes have burst and like created giant holes in our ceilings and like all of our shit is water damaged and like the insurance companies aren't going to pay for it and the state isn't giving us any aid. So I guess this is just how we live now. You know, mm-hmm. pretty much. And the blackouts um, were my organization is actually doing investigation because I mean, it's not a real solution, but they were supposed to be rolling blackouts yeah. when the cold came. So they're supposed to be 40, 15 to 45 minutes at a time, which is still not a solution. I just want to really like point <laughs> that out. But it wasn't supposed to be for like three days, four days. And there were some parts, like we have a, a neighborhood called Highland Park, which is like the richest uh, per square capita neighborhood in the United States or one of the richest. Um, and they didn't lose any power. Like there was no rolling for them at all. And uh, the campus of SMU is in that neighborhood. And it's like a completely empty campus had light. And then there were some neighborhoods that had more black and brown people that weren't as affluent that went without light for like four days. So I feel like this was very targeted, even though they said it was rolling blackouts. Um, my brother lives in a very, very affluent part of town. He never lost light one day. And I was just like, so where was the yeah. rolling? <laughs> because it feels like y'all just shut off power in some neighborhoods and kept power on in others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the downtown was lit up. And we were like, mm-hmm. hmm, downtown's lit up. That's but... suspicious. I know, right? <laughs> but, the, but the poor neighborhood right next to it was dark. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, I think this is intentional. Yeah. But... I feel like... Yeah, it is often not talked about, like, why is it that we can literally see the lack of investment in black and brown communities, right, in so many different cities and states or whatever. And I, like, spent time in New Orleans. I lived in New Orleans for six months. And there it's just, like, wildly staggering, right? Like, there's, like worlds of infrastructure differences exacerbated by the natural disasters that have happened in New Orleans, you know, time and time again, where it's like city, first of all, is built inside of a bowl, which is like just bad. Like you shouldn't build a city in a bowl, but <laughs> if you're going to do it, you should, um, you know, work on the drainage and areas like that. And, you know, it's like very clear that when the city does flood, like the literal infrastructure of the city like <laughs> keeps water in the neighborhood in the neighborhoods that black people live in and it drains it from like the financial district and like shit like that and i feel like we're just not talked about enough how literally like structurally literal structure is against black and brown people yeah yeah i was I don't know. I was thinking about that because um i don't know i go on these rants to myself in my head um, I don't know if anyone else can relate, but um, <laughs> the whole like you know, um, pull yourself up by your boot bootstraps and um, 
I despise um, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. Also because I have lived in both of their states. Like, I went to undergrad in Missouri. So I despise Josh Hawley because I know that he peddles in white supremacy. But the point was that he was saying that, like, basically systemic racism is over or doesn't exist. And that this country is the country that freed the slaves. And I was like... I really wish that, to your point, we don't talk about how structurally and environmentally um, and economically and everything else is kind of set up for black and brown people to fail. But we don't talk about how when they did pull themselves up by their bootstraps, um, at every turn they were stopped. Like, just recently, I feel like a lot of people came to the realization that cities um, like Tulsa existed Mm -hmm. that then led to the Tulsa race massacre. Um, Even here in New York City, um, in Central Park, that used to be a black town that was Seneca Village that was then run over and created Central Park. And I just feel like a lot of times we don't understand why uh, these situations are because we don't understand the history behind it and like mm-hmm. how we got to this point it wasn't just like it just so happens it's like this has been systems that have been in place like literally after the end of slavery to make sure that certain people stay in their place and it's not like an entire movement a few can get through right but mm-hmm. it's like we can't have significant numbers of yeah. this. Right. Can you take a quick second to to describe what actually happened? Because I think DeAndre and I both know, but for anybody who might be listening who doesn't know, like, what happened in Tulsa, like, what we're talking about. Sure. So Tulsa, um, Oklahoma, was a it, – it was a black community that was thriving. Um, and it was an upper-class community that I think spanned over – I'm not going to get this number right, but it was a a very big, well-established town. And basically, um, at a building, a hotel, um, in an elevator, um, a black man was accused of grabbing a white woman. And uh, white townsmen kind of set upon the town and killed the number still isn't known because I was watching this documentary that had um, unmarked um, graves of many, many people. So they were just like uncovering it. And the whole town of Tulsa kind of covered up that history. So basically, um, they burned down and killed everyone in the city. And it got actually to the point where the government also got involved because bombs were dropped on this town. And basically, the people were not able to rebuild after that. Um, And many people left. Some kind of went on to tent cities. Um, But that community never existed again. And the thing with Tulsa is that it's not some one in a million um, story. It happened so many times across the country um, different towns, whether it was violently taken over or economically deprived, were systematically like targeted because they were affluent black communities. And it was a threat to, I mean, white supremacy, 
as a and whole. They're really, and they're such tragic case studies too because I feel like so many people today have this, you know, impulse of like, oh my God, like we can see the country getting more polarizing. Why don't we just like, you know, just go into our enclave and like, you know, fuck these people. Like we mm -hmm. can just like come up with our own rules and our own, you know, like society in the, in the image that we actually want it to be, right? And like, <laughs> because it's like, you know, integration feels so distant in any, in any like way, right? Based on just like what happened this January and what ha is can just has been continuing to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, I think that- Yeah, then it's sort of like, okay, well, what do we do? I think that's a really <laughs> good point that you made about, about Tulsa. Because, like, I, so I'm from North Carolina, um, and there, a very similar thing happened in Tulsa, that happened in Tulsa, happened in Wilmington, North Carolina, mm, in yeah. 1898, that I, like, literally born and raised in North Carolina, did not learn about until college. And it's, you know, very, like, similar situation. Wilmington had, like, a fusionist biracial government and like was kind of a bustling hub for black businesses and black people. And literally like 2000 Klansmen came with a Gatling gun and like burned down everything and killed between, they say between 60 and 300 people because they don't know and displaced over 2000 black people, you know? So like mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's the bootstraps thing to your point, Nana is like just bullshit. <laughs> Yeah. Literally, there's documented incidents of, like, when black people, against all the shitty odds that they already had to go against, do prosper, they've been literally put down. No, like, I, and it's continuous, because uh, Wilmington, I just heard a podcast about that. That was 1898. Tulsa was 1921. Um, then there was Rosewood, um, Seneca Village. But then, as you as we go on later on in the 20th century, like, I don't know if you all have um, watched the movie with Daniel Kaluuya about um, Fred Hampton, Judas and the oh, Black. Oh, it's on, it's on my list. I really want to watch it. It's really disturbing um, because right now there are two movies out. And I, like, being a nerd, I, of course, like, went to go research more because movies are a great start. I think they really help people, like, know things that obviously our education system is not teaching us. Um, but basically, like, Fred Hampton was a 21-year-old man who was a part of the Black Panther Party in Chicago, and he was targeted by the FBI, by Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover, um, who literally said, we do not need the rise of a Black Messiah. Anytime Black people have ever tried to, like, against all odds, find these boots and pull up these bootstraps. There's always like some faction of the government that's like, no, 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 we can't have that because they were targeted. They were literally giving free lunch. They tried to unite with the, uh, they were called the, pa the Young Patriots, which is kind of like a MAGA-ish thing, but <laughs> back then they were the Young Patriots. Um, and then also, I forgot what the Latino uh, group was called, but he was trying to just bring them all together and be like, look, what we do have in common is classism. And these people will continue to try and put us in our place. And he was targeted by the FBI. They sent in uh, 
intel and um, spies or whatever, and he was killed. Yeah, violently. And it's like and really aggressively violently murdered. Um, in his sleep, <laughs> and they literally like after killing him were like, well, that inwards dead and gone now like he was a problem like black liberation was a bigger threat they they saw that as a big bigger threat than the clan which always like truly upsets me because i'm like the black panthers don't exist but the clan is like alive and well has grandchildren like called Mm -hmm. the boogaloo boys and like the proud boys and all these other people it's like you didn't see them as a threat but these people mlk um, Malcolm X that came out recently that like he was targeted as well. It's like anytime and now I think kind of the same thing is happening with Black Lives Matter as well. Like they have become the next terrorist organization because they are trying to get this elusive equity which is a big threat to the United States. Does Texas have any of these is there any like really egregious like moves against black and brown people that come to your mind being from Texas. Um, I know that like voter suppression is wild egregious down there. <laughs> yeah, voter suppression is their thing. That's the name of the game down here. Like just recently, uh, in our state house, um, there was a rule before that you had to have the a- approval of nineteen representatives for any bill to be presented. And because a a progressive beat out a Republican, they changed that 19 to 18. So it's like, we vote, you know, we're voting. But even when we make progress, then you change the rules again. And initially, that rule was 21. So it's gone from 21 to 18. Um, pretty soon it's going to be like one guy. <laughs> just anyone just can throw any legislation on the table. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it just has to be a Republican. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing that we are, I'm going to speak from what I'm actually working on, is our site and release um, with respect to marijuana. I live in uh, Dallas, which is actually a blue mark. Um, in Texas, mm-hmm. but it's really not because it's actually a very segregated city. Um, so we right now are the only county, I believe, that are still locking people up for small amounts of marijuana, even though our DA is throwing them out. And um, meeting with the former chief of police, Basically, it was like, yeah, we are racially profiling black and brown people. So we looked at numbers and it was over 1,200. So like in one year, it was over 1,200 black people were stopped for or jailed for marijuana compared to 100 white people um, and about 600 Latino. So it's just like those things are things that get people fired things that keep people in economic despair because you're in jail for something so small that you don't jail white people at the same rate. And we know that black and white people use drugs at the same, at the exact same rate. Um, I went to a majority white school. Those girls used a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
for sure. like a ton of drugs. Um, I think that's something because right now our jail system is kind of just processing black people um, and brown people for the slightest things. And we kind of make sure to target them. Um, and we see that that's really messing up people's lives because if you're in jail, that that ruins every other aspect of your life. Yeah. People right? don't realize the um, like the economic toll it takes on someone to either go to jail or have a family member that is going to jail because it's like, obviously, you need money if you want a decent lawyer and not a public defender and or you need money to like, if there's places with cash bail, you need money for that. You know, if you, you obviously lose out on income. And mm-hmm. I saw some stat that I can't recall, like, exactly. But it was just like, you know, we know that due to systemic forces, black people are often don't like, or generally don't make as much money as white people. And so when white people are jailed, they're more often able to like get charges thrown out because they can afford nice lawyers and like the whole situation so you know it's like <clears throat> when you look at the, the system it does feel like very very targeted yeah i mean just to just an example like like i, I went to a, a private high school um and i was one of three black people in my class three and a half there was a, a girl that was biracial and she was like i'll be <laughs> um but like Three and a half or whatever, you know, you want to call it. Um, And we had a class of 200. But I noticed, because I lived in the southern part of town, and I lived in a suburb, but, like, still, it wasn't as affluent as their neighborhoods. But, like, I noticed, like, like I said, these girls drank. Like, we got water bottles banned from our school because people put vodka in them. Um... One girl, and this is the big thing that I was just like, the disparity of how we treat white people and black people and white and black children is so different because at my school, a girl was expelled for basically, I don't know, peddling drugs between a South American cartel and all of the private schools in the northern part of Dallas. <laughs> So she was a go-between for a cartel and giving drugs to hundreds of students, if not thousands, at eight different schools. Now, if she would have been black, she would have been arrested. Yeah, she would have been tried as, a, as an adult, put into jail. As an adult. But because she was white, she was just expelled. No cops were called. <laughs> no authorities were called. Um, she got sent to a rehab because she was also like doing drugs. But I was just like, I've seen black kids in predominantly black schools get like arrested for just having a blunt. And you're like a, a part she's, of the She's a kingpin. <laughs> like... You're a kingpin and you're like, and you just get expelled and you know, you get your GD and that's it. <laughs> and it's gone. Like, it's got, there's nothing on her record. I looked her up on Facebook. She looks like a regular old girl, regular old woman. Um, you would never know that this was in her, her past. And it's just like, to me, that is the disparity. And when we say, like, they over-police us, it's like, you give second and third chances to your children. You don't do the same 
to ours, like criminalize us for the same things that you would never criminalize white children for. Um, And it's just, I mean, there's so many more that I was just like, I look at the people now on Facebook and I'm like, no one would ever know that you like (laughs) drove your daddy's car off a bridge, huh? And like, (laughs) oh, okay. Because now you're like a CEO somewhere. Great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so, I mean, I've, so I I have been thinking about like just this general, like, okay, you know, you have, when you have like a group that is in power, right, on like all levels in the government, in local governments, right, like it feels to me like as much as like it might be very nice to have like a, you know, a belief that like, you know, we can successfully like, you know, work together and integrate. It just does feel like almost a biological level, like primal, like if you have power, no one like maybe individuals might be allies, but on like a group level, you're never going to want to give that power up. Right. And kind of redistribute the power to people who are saying like, look, we would love to uh, (laughs) not be like police this hard. And we would love to be able to have like a shot, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And so I wonder how, like as an organizer, how pessimistic slash optimistic you are about, what needs to happen and you know how incremental change can be and like what's realistic you know um I don't know if this sounds completely like horrible (laughs) (laughs) I don't I okay I'm just (laughs) honestly I think that the United States needs to lose all of its world power status um and we kind of need to like be taken back several notches for us to realize that we're no longer a world power and maybe a little bit focus on ourselves. Maybe if Americans, and when I say Americans, specifically white Americans, but I'm going to say all Americans, because sometimes when I take even some black Americans out of the blackness, sometimes the Americanness jumps mm-hmm. in, if that makes sense. Um, I honestly think that, like, the United States needs to be, like, almost destroyed as it is, and it needs to be rebuilt. Because when you look at everything that we have and the things that we're fighting that are, like, so radical leftist, like, oh, my God, $15 an hour, (laughs) which is not even that much money. Um, Because, unfortunately, that amounts to, like, is it? Is it $28,000 a year or something like that when you make $15 an hour without taxes? Yeah, it's like not a lot of money. (laughs) I can do that. It's not a lot of money. And that's like if you're a single person and, again, nothing ever goes wrong. But, like, when I think about the things that we're fighting for that other countries that are more homogenous have, um, we don't have them here because of racism. Like... Universal health care, this is not the first time that it's been proposed. You know what I mean? It was proposed by, I think, was it Harry Truman? Um, And people were all for it. And then, again, we got the Red Scare. And then they were also like, oh, the blacks are going to get it. Oh, no, we don't. (laughs) Um, 
And then the whole fighting for, uh, you know, like server servers getting tips like that. That doesn't happen in other countries. They have an actual like wage, living wage. And that happened because of racism, because a lot of black people back then were servers and the companies didn't want to pay them or the restaurants didn't want to pay them. So they wanted them to live off tips. And that's how we got that. It's like so many things came because of racism that sometimes it's hard for me when I learn more. I'm like, well, how the hell do we stop something that's been like going on for like over 100? Like this is built into your the fabric of everything. Um, Honestly, if I. If one thing could change, if $15 an hour, which is a big compromise in my in my opinion, could happen. I would be like, okay, that's I'm I'm not that excited, but it's something, and at least it's almost double. Um, it's more than double, seven twenty-five, yeah. right? So that's something. I at this point, when I think about it too much, I go into those mental rants. So I will accept whatever change and really hope that people continue to like fight the good fight it 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 seems like it's just like kind of forever yeah. honestly and um <laughs> isabel do you remember this in dc we passed um like a minimum wage for tipped workers and like the people voted on it the, it went through the people wanted it and <laughs> city council was literally just like actually no we're not gonna do that and then it just didn't happen <laughs> And like, what? I wonder. I wonder if that would just happen on on a national scale, right? Like, what if everyone was just like, "Yeah, no, we don't want to do that." Actually, well, then there was also this, like, you know, the restaurant owners were telling their servers, like, you know, if you fight for this, we're gonna go out of business, and then you're gonna lose your job, right? So, what do you think is better? You, obviously, like, you know, this is this is actually not in your own best interest. Yeah. And there were a lot, and there were so many of these, like you know, restaurant servers who were also being like, "No, like you know, we don't want the minimum wage to apply to tipped workers or whatever." You know, it it's just like I feel like a lot of people are convinced or sometimes talked into voting or going against their own interests, and it's mm-hmm. just like, why would you close? I would really like dissect that. How, so if you pay me, how would you close exactly? Like, what can I see your profit? Yeah. <laughs> That you just really can't afford any kind of, like, wage, living wage for people who... I don't know if either one of you have ever been servers. That is hard work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have. I was a server for, like, four years. Yeah, and then you got to put up with assholes sometimes. And it's... Sorry, I don't know. You can. You can. But, like, <sighs> but it's just like, oh, my God. I want to curse you yeah, out. And were... But then I have to be like, okay, thanks, And there sir. were nights where you... Okay. I mean, sure, like... There are some, and this varies heavily restaurant by restaurant, right? So, like, I'm sure that if you work at, like, a Waffle House or a Denny's, like, you have a hard time coming home with $100 a night. But even when I, quote, unquote, work my way up to, like, a really nice restaurant downtown, there are still nights where, you know, like, you are entertaining one table the whole night, and you know that they're going to be, like, your main source of income for the night, and they can just decide to undertip you. and if that's what they decide, then, you know, you're going home with 50 bucks a night and you work your ass off for six hours. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're I, I just and people are like, well, service will be bad if if, you know, they don't depend on tips also. And I'm just like, maybe if they didn't have to work their ass off for like five dollars on a fifty dollar ticket, um, they might not be so upset and they might just be nice to you. Yeah. And like and this like this exists, I think was it in San Francisco already? It exists. There's some place in California but the data has not shown any like decrease in service quality, decrease in like amount that you're tipped. Like they just make more money. That's it. Like people don't go out to eat less. Like <laughs> like it's just that like the people that work there make more money. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also like this uh this fight or fear against change. Like Everyone is like with $15 an hour, like, oh, do you want to pay $30 for your McDonald's? And I'm like, since when? When? Who's going to do that? And honestly, like, it exists. There are certain stores. There are certain places. I know minimum wage, I think in Norway for McDonald's is $22 an hour or $24. It's like prices are going to go up. They're not going to go up significant i'm not gonna get a 30 dollar burrito like that that's not gonna exist just because you make 15 dollars an hour and then people and people pretend like you like you know that there's only one way it can be there's only one way that if they're if they have to pay their employees more they have the only way they can like you know make it up is by charging like more for their burgers but there are so many different ways to price things and Mm -hmm. like there are so many different factors that go into the price of your burger like the supply chain like all these different factors and like the government like policy around those things so like it really to me like especially if you're a big corporation like mcdonald's they'll like there's there's just absolutely no way that like the prices would go up to me that's like their main like source of like selling point right yeah yeah america has done a really really good job at and i think we talked about this in the socialism episode with kevin um america's done an amazing job at like dividing its people by class and then also like the people in the like in the quote unquote middle class, like are having just having just intrinsically tied their worth to their to their paycheck. So they're like, well, if the guy who flips burgers at McDonald's that he makes fifteen dollars, then what am I going to be doing? I'm like, I'm a registered nurse and I only make eighteen. So like, why like I that I we shouldn't be making that that close close amount of money. And I'm like, what kind of like fucked up rationale is that, bro? Like you. Like we should want the best for everyone, but like America has really like done a really good job at dividing us. Yeah, hunger and games making us style. resent. <laughs> yeah, and making us resent like quote unquote lower class job. You know? Yeah, but it's also like as a registered nurse, you should be paid more too. Yeah, you should make more too, fam. Um, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Yeah, you also like work. That's a very valued job, and and it, it's also like these people were essential last year and now it's like they're they're not skilled enough to make $15 an hour but we see that they're the ones that literally helped our society like continue going because how many times did you go to Walmart or your grocery store or whatever um that's what you needed and for the people to actually be there i think they deserve a living wage and that's what 
minimum wage was supposed to be in the first place. It was supposed to be a living wage um, that kept up with production. And it it's fallen short now completely. Well, I wonder if we stopped activating like things that are that allow people within the same class to other each other like race for example like in and we focused more on class if that would be more likely to be effective because like those things seem so demonstrably like we don't have like one thing that kevin was saying in his in his episode was like we don't we have race studies in schools like when you go to college but like there's not a similar thing for class right we don't even like study it on that kind of level it's not like economics mm-hmm. and class studies is the same thing you know we like yeah. effectively erase that as like an identifier for people because we don't want that to be the most salient thing that people think of right when we think when they think of their own political identity yeah yeah no on, i on the- Oh, so, all right, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I'll never forget when Kevin said something that blew my mind. He was like, he was like, the only thing in common, or that we all have in common, or that like 98% of us have in common, is that we're all getting fucked by our employer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, very conveniently, it's not something that we've been like encouraged to. But anyways, go ahead. No, I was just going to say two things to your point, though, about um, class, uh, Isabel, is that I always like go to LBJ, who like happily said that, you know, the N word all the time. Um, But he was (laughs) (laughs) but he at least understood how things are the way they are or why things are the way they are. And. There have been people like MLK after civil rights started to move into um, classism and the poor people's march. And that's when he was killed. And like kind of the same thing with Fred Hampton. He started to unite people on class instead of race. And he was killed because that is a very big thing that will bring us together. So, like, I always think about this quote by LBJ, and he's like, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, he'll even give, hell, if you give him somebody to look down on, um, he'll empty his pockets for you. And I think for that, that has worked very well. But then also, I think a lot of people, and I don't know whether it's white or black, uh, I'm going to say conservative. I think many poor conservatives thinks that think that they're just billionaires in training. Like, I'm not there yet, but I will be. Yeah. So when I am there, I don't want these things to happen. But in the meantime, I make $8 an hour and I'm, you know, voting against my interests. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, when you think that you are going to be something soon, I guess it's, you know, you visualize it. So they're manifesting. That's like just some crazy level of like mind manipulation, though. You know, like it's like like, to me, I think so often just like so many of these things that leftists are saying feel so self-evident, right, that it's it is often just so like just I know I shouldn't be surprised but I'm still surprised that people are still buying these lines from politicians 
right? And I like, I really think a lot about what would it take to get them to, you know, start seeing those things and maybe there's, maybe there's nothing. I don't know. Like maybe it's always going to be an in-group, out-group thing is if you can activate the right in-group, then, you know, that's just how politics is always going to work. Yeah. I honestly, I, I think it's a lack of knowledge and education because whenever I do have these conversations with people who are more right or conservative, they kind of just regurgitate things that I've heard, like from Tucker Carlson, who. <laughs> and it's like, literally, though, um, there was a case. I don't know who sued him. Uh, somebody sued him because misinformation he was peddling, of course. And Fox's defense was like, we don't expect any reasonable person to believe the things that he says. It's just <laughs> entertainment. And they won. They won the case yeah. on that. Wow. That like, Tucker Carlson, is, come on, you really believe that? But people actually take his word as like the truth. So it's like when they tell me, you know, remember Obama was going to take all their guns. But it's like you have convinced yourself that AOC is a horrible socialist and socialism is Cuba and Venezuela and you're going to lose power. And it's just like if you've convinced yourself of a lie, it's the truth could literally be like in front of your face and you would completely ignore it. Like, it's much easier to convince, it's much easier, I think, to lead with fear. And I think a lot of people are afraid. Of what? Of different sure. things. So I think that's how they continue to keep their base in complete denial of the truth is fear. You can easily, because I always ask them, like, so what is socialist? Tell me the socialist, po like, tell me these horrible socialist things they want to do. And then that's when the conversation stops. And it's just like, okay, I just, I just wanted to make sure we, <laughs> you knew what just you just wanted to make sure we were on the same page here. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, tell me what is socialism? Tell me like what, what they want to do to take away all your freedom. And there's never a good answer. It's just like Twitter is going to ban me. It's like Twitter banned me for calling like, um, or suspended me for calling Candace Owens like not very nice things. Like it silences people <laughs> all the time, you know? It's like it happens to everybody. So Yeah. What what's the big deal? <laughs> Candace Owens is trash though. Yeah. Yeah. She oh God. <laughs> I can't I can't handle her. But um I think it's it's something that's based in fear, honestly. And it it is a little bit afraid of losing that power. Whatever power you think you have, you're afraid that anyone who might be on equal standing, not even like trying to take over and oppress you, because I've heard black supremacy so many times and I'm like... <laughs> Terry Crews. Yeah, no, but I also heard that from like, was it Josh Hawley? I hate him. Um, but it's just like, what is black <laughs> supremacy? Um, tell me a time in history where black supremacy has true, like in this country, has existed. When? 
Well, I think actually because it's unknown, that's why people are so scared, right? Because it's like something that is just something that exists in your imagination. You can make it into whatever you want, right? Whereas like the status quo where you're enjoying all of these nice privileges is obviously more comfortable and not as scary to you. And so like the prospect of change feels bad. And what's, yeah. what's, I mean, the, and also the more we end, we're, to me, it seems very obvious that we're going to have more chaos like pandemics and, and these crazy shutdowns in Texas and like, you know, whatever, like fires in California, like, it help, I mean, like, <laughs> it feels almost like comedically dystopian, but I wonder if having like, you know, more of that happen as I feel like it will, will cause more fear and then thus more people clutching to like conservatism to try to like you know be like oh my god i need you know to to maintain the sense of comfort that i have or if more people will become more i mean i think demographically at least more people are going to become more liberal but i i like wonder what is going to be the effect of all of these other forces at play i'm hoping that i am think well I'm going to say from a, a Texas point of view, people are saying that like conservatism really isn't doing much for you. Like we had a whole blackout for over a week and conservatism did nothing for us. Uh, we've had a whole <laughs> pandemic for over a year and conservatism did nothing for us. Like I really hope that, I mean, I obviously you don't want things to get worse, but they are kind of and I kind of hate that I'm living in like history I kind of want to like be living in one of those times that they kind of gloss over it's like eh, you know yeah I'm tired of living historical I know <laughs> I'm just like I've had it I don't want to be talked about 80 years from now and be like and the people back then anyway um but I I think that like People are saying that conservatism doesn't do anything like we not one Republican voted for the covid relief bill, like not one. You don't want people to get anything like I don't understand how things can get worse and people can see nothing being done by government. And we rely only on each other. It's like, then what are you there for? Right, right. Even even if you believe the government should not try to mitigate any of the economic effects of the pandemic, rugged individualism cannot develop a vaccine. Mm -hmm. It just can't. Like, <laughs> you cannot develop and distribute a vaccine to everyone in the country. Yeah. <laughs> and it can't also, like, rebuild infrastructure yeah. that has been destroyed by nature, right? Like, yeah. Uh, as much as, like, it's so cute to see the little kid on Channel 5 News, like, fixing the potholes in his neighborhood with, like, you know, whatever household items he has. That doesn't work. <laughs> like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and it shouldn't be a news story that's, like, endearing. It should be, like, this is what we've done to children and we're failing them. That a, an 11-year-old wants to go out and go fix the potholes in his neighborhood because we haven't done that. <laughs> like, help me understand that. So, I don't, I, I am not, uh, I'm really trying to, like, my friend tells me I have to visualize and manifest things more positively because I'll be like, this is shit. And she's like, come on, you got to be more positive. So, I'm hoping... <laughs> I'm hoping that maybe we can honestly like the other side to me is not that much better 
I, I really want real progressive, like, policy. Yeah, I, Biden is showing us that he is not what we wanted. I, <laughs> I mean, we knew, yeah. we knew he wasn't what we wanted, yeah. right? But, like, I was like, damn, I thought he was at least going to pretend for a little bit longer. Like, man. maybe for <laughs> like, like, days. I thought he was going <laughs> to... Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Like, do something, sir, please. But it's just like, <laughs> I I follow Corey Bush, which is a rep from um, St. Louis, and she was trying to pass um, a bill to restore voting rights to uh, felons or people after they got out of jail. And only 97 mm-hmm. people voted for it in the House. And I'm like, there's 221 Democrats and only 97 voted for this. Like, we have problems within this, so, quote unquote, progressive party, which is so not progressive when you look at other countries. Um, like, yeah. we're actually quite moderate for everything that we're doing. But I'm just like, there are problems on the left or whatever, the left of right. Um, because there are people still fighting $15 an hour on that side. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Joe Manchin. <laughs> Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. Um, yeah, it's just like, I, I think both, I'm, I'm not going to both sides it. I hate that stupid argument, but it's just like, they're both kind of just right. One is far right and the other is just like... <laughs> center right you know i i um i was talking with my partner and we, she took she developed a crackpot like a kind of a crackpot theory on how we can get a multi like a party system in america and it goes like this right so donald trump runs in 2024 but the republicans like the republican establishment doesn't want trump anymore so he runs as an independent and pulls and pulls away like half the republican vote and at the same time progressives are really unhappy with biden so they pull and make their ultra progressive party (laughs) and then we have four roughly equal parties in the united states (laughs) i the only problem with that is that if no one reaches 270 I think Congress decides. Ooh, you hate that. Yeah. <laughs> you hate to see that. That's kind of so, an interesting question. Do you think that if we were to form four parties, there would be roughly an equal number of like ultra progressives? Either would be like Trump supporters. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that there are a lot of people especially a lot of young people that are very unhappy with like the democratic party's lack of action. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are also a lot of Republicans that are really mad that the Republican party is trying to push Trump away. Um, and like Trump also did activate a lot of people that were, um, you know, a lot of like the outer fringes that are like, that are like which is what the progressives are trying to do too like that's what new georgia project and like you know all of these like organizations are all about is activating more voters that haven't been voting also but it's also getting that candidate like i think bernie 
might have um, encouraged people on the left that never have been engaged that are like, oh, yeah, he's really talking, you know, real stuff. And he seems to want to actually take this action, not just say stuff, Joe, about my $2,000 that is now $1,400 somehow. Um, (laughs) But it's just like, you know, it's it's sort of like I would love a candidate that actually wants true um, progressive economic progressive policies. And as someone who is very into social justice as well and working with it, I would also like real police, not just reform, but like, I don't even know. I don't want to say defunding, but like rebuilding the whole system. That's the thing. Defunding is not even like in a literal sense that that radical of a word. Right. People defund things all the time. People defund schools like every goddamn day. Yeah. <laughs> every every school, every year we defund yeah. public schools. Yeah. They have less and less. But I think, again, the cops are for fear and safety because people say dumb things like, well, who are you going to call when someone robs your house? And it's like, I mean, I guess I'll call them for a police report, but are they going to solve it? I don't know. They never. They're not going to. Someone broke into my car, and I called them, and they're like, "All right, bet we're not going to send anybody, but just let us know what what kind of car it is." <laughs> and they're like, "And they're like, all right, what they take?" And I was like, "They took these things," and they're like, "All right, cool, have fun, have a good day." They, I mean, it's not their job technically to protect us. Like the Supreme Court, like decided that. When the yeah. um, the Florida, I forgot what that school was that was shot up in Florida. Uh, when the students sued, they were like, it's not their job. Like, they can literally see you being robbed and just look at you. It's not their job to protect <laughs> you. So it's their job to get revenue for the city, state, county, whatever, and to protect um, government property. Now, if that's a person that's in custody okay but technically all of us it's it's not a part of their job description so i would love to see some defunding but more importantly i would like to see accountability yeah that's real so if i mean if you give me that candidate yes i voted for joe because trump just wasn't an option in any way shape or form but if you give me a candidate that actually says these things, I would go stump for them up and down this country. Like, I just, for sure. I think the the response to extreme right policy is not moderate. It's not moderation at all. Like, you need to go the other way as almost as extreme to try and pull it back. So I think all the concessions are just... It's BS. And I think, like, I think the left needs a better PR machine. Nana, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Um, Yeah, it's just... It's always cathartic for me to just be like 
reaffirmed in like yeah my strongest progressive values because <laughs> you know like, damn am i tripping and then you're like no actually i'm not tripping at all no no actually i think the more you learn the more you need to trip um yeah, yeah i should trip more you should be you should be on the floor like that's how much you should trip no because um my my cousin's husband calls me a hippy dippy liberal and i'm like you know what i'm okay with that i'm completely okay yeah. with that so thank you guys so much for having me on it's been great um and if you ever need to fill any kind of validation for your super progressive um ideology call at me <laughs> I will sure. give you more um, fury. <laughs> <laughs> more fury. Um, so, oh, good. Uh, my my ending question. So now that we are in hopefully late stage pandemic, um, we think it's been fun to ask people just like, what are you excited to do when you're like all vaxxed up and feel safe to go outside? Okay. So like many people, I got a COVID body. So I want to get rid of my, um, the extra pounds that came with doing absolutely nothing. And I honestly, there's nothing that has like higher, uh, ranking. I want to go to a party. I want to go to a big, like, um, they used to have big parties in, um, Central Park and Flatbush Avenue, like in Brooklyn, I want to go to concerts. I will literally go to like the opening of a toilet. Like I'm going everywhere. <laughs> um, but really, I just want the community with my friends because like we've been doing Zooms and stuff and it's just it's not the same. So friends yeah. and family, we used to have outings and see each other more. And now it's just it's just not the same. Yeah. You know, Um yeah, big same. Yeah. I'm looking forward <laughs> to, same. you know, like being fully dressed, you know, like wearing shoes, like, you know. Zooms are great because <laughs> like waist down, anything could be going on, but like still, you know, you miss it. So, yeah. 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 I put on a pair of jeans recently and I was shocked at how like a human, more like a human I felt than, you know. Me too. Yeah. I was packing for my trip and I haven't worn jeans in a year. And I, I was like, first of all, are they going to fit? But second of all, they did. But I was just like, oh, my God, I used to wear this like all the time. Mm-hmm. Not just. Yeah, we used to like sweatpants. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much anything. Invite me to anything, guys. I'll be there for sure. Um, cool. So take this last moment to plug your show and whatever else you want. to Really, it's Broke Gifted and black you can follow us at um broke gifted and black podcast on instagram facebook we are on youtube as well and um we have an anchor website we're gonna resume all normal episodes next week i've taken a bit of a hiatus um and if you are in texas i don't you know you can always, if you feel like you need to do something, I am um, a county leader at the Texas Organizing Project, and we're always looking for people to join the fight. Um, there's a lot to do in Texas, and our big goal is to turn Texas glue, uh, blue and get um, Governor Hot Wheels out. So <laughs> that is the goal. So... Um, <laughs> Please join us on the podcast, and if you're in Texas, Texas Organizing Project. Amazing.
And as always, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Instagram. That's our, our Gmail as well. Otherwise, bye. <laughs>